Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hi everyone, and welcome back to Racing Lives. My name's Aurélie, Aurélie Donzelot, and in this podcast, I use motorsport as an excuse to chat to some of the most inspiring women I know. Each week brings a different guest, and we discuss everything, from career beginnings to what it's truly like to be involved in one of the fastest sports in the world. My guest today has worked with some of the best-known automotive brands in her highly successful motorsport career, counting the likes of Skoda, Aston Martin, BMW and more recently Bentley as part of her client roster. She's represented brands and drivers in Formula One, the World Rally Championship, the World Endurance Championship and many, many other series. She founded a very own PR agency in 2011, VIPR Media, adding various businesses since then, including my personal favourite, a Christmas tree order and delivery service with her husband Tom on's local. She has most definitely been blessed with the entrepreneurial and hard-working genes and is not letting them go to waste. She's one of my favourite person to follow on social media as I never know what she's going to do next. My guest today is the rather awesome Rebecca Jones. Hello. Hiya. It's funny when people talk to you about you, isn't it? And then, and I think particularly in our, in our jobs, when you work in PR, we're the ones who talk about other people. That's what we do, isn't it? We tell other people what they're like, and we never turn the camera onto ourselves or the microphone onto ourselves. And there's probably some deep psychological reason for that, but and then so when so for us to hear these things, it's a little uncomfortable, isn't it? Completely, and that's one hundred percent why I wanted to start this podcast. Because how many women do you know that are absolutely awesome and? Are never going to have something written about them or never going to be put centre because of the job that we do. We're just not naturally doing that. And actually, everyone's got a story and they're bloody brilliant stories. Yeah, I think that, and that is the thing as well, isn't it? It's like, I, I have been asked to do things like this before and I actually avoid it. I only said yes to you because I think you understand my position. I don't like it when people who have not been in our position ask me to do an interview because I don't know why I just find it really strange. Whereas with you, I feel like I'm talking to someone who who um, has lived a similar life to mine, but with very different stories behind it. So, yeah, this is um, something I've normally said no to, but I'm going for it. I'm hugely honoured. So, Beck, when and where did your racing life begin? Oh, well, I had my first motorbike when I was four. It was uh, a little Yamaha, but um, I used to fall off it quite a lot. I didn't quite get, couldn't get my head, could get my head around the throttle and brake. So I would brake, but keep the throttle on. And I went through a few fences, um, came off quite a lot. And actually, I have, I still have a bad thumb to this day because I, when I used to fall off, I used to dislocate my thumb. So that was where my love of bikes and cars. We grew up in a family where there was always, we never had a good car. We would break down every day on the way to school and fix it. It was that kind of life where. You know, we, we we grew up learning how to fix something if it broke. You know, my hobby was to take things apart to see how they worked. So if we had a VHS player and then we got a new one, I would beg to be allowed to have the old one to take it apart 
to see how it worked. I know, I know I'm a loser, I know. Um, So (laughs) I actually have, um, I had to write something about myself. I think it was in year six of primary school, so I would have been 10 years old. And it's about me. And it says in it, I love anything on four wheels. And so it was a, it was something I always loved. Um, loved rallying when I was a teenager. I was obsessed with rally games on my PlayStation. So I, my woodwork project was building a sim rig out of wood. And it slotted on the end of my bed. And I had the PlayStation steering wheel and pedals that I screwed onto the sim. <laughs> You're so ahead of the curve. Oh, I, know, I know. Imagine if I'd kept that up now. I'd be like sim champ, world champion. So that was, and I, I used to live maybe, I don't know, a mile and a half from school. So at lunchtime, I'd run home from school, play on my sim for an hour and run back out, back to school again. Always, always been into motorsport, always watched Formula One on the weekends. Well, I was never a massive Formula One fan. I think it was just because it was the one that was on telly. I enjoyed it, um, but really loved rallying, going out into the forest. Um, I lived on the border of Wales, and there would be uh, rallies. I'd never go and watch. You'd never go watch anything really good, like W, you know, World Rally Championship or anything like that. It'd always be like, you know, like a local rally club. But when you're a kid, you don't care, do you? There's a fast car going past, and you know, you stand on the side of the forest, and then you know, you look at the timetable. Oh, can we make it to stage nine? And you get in the car, and off you go. Or you're running through the forest trying to get there. That was mega. And then when I first worked in PR, I think I was 18, I was at uni, got a job in a PR agency and did everything. You know, we did PR. I did I did the PR for Tetbury Town Council, so I had to photograph Prince Charles planting a tree. Oh, wow. I, <laughs> completely random stuff. Went on to work in science, engineering and technology PR. So writing about all kinds of things, um, and proper nerdy things for process engineering magazines and um, you know, we do really exciting things, really interesting things. So I'd go on like training courses with Schneider Electric to, to learn about their latest technology. But then also we had to do the PR for um, Hellam and Titan, which was a cable tie company. So we'd have to write features about the importance of a quality cable tie. And then I think if you can do PR for cable ties, I mean, you can do anything. You can make anything good. And then from there, Skoda were having a big cash injection from Volkswagen Group. And they wanted to to make their cars much cooler. So they had the Octavia and the Fabia, which were their two main cars. Um, And they came to our agency and said, we we need to make these cars cool. So we did rallying with the Fabia and cycling with the Octavia. And that's when my PR career and my love of motorsport came together. And as soon as they said, we're going rallying, oh man, it was just a dream come true for me. So that's how it started. From there, I worked in the, on the, the agency with Skoda. And then when I was 26, I think, um, I decided to set up my own company, which was always the goal. When I worked in PR agencies, um, I, like I said, I lived on the border of Wales and my job was in Solihull. So I drove two hours to work and two hours from work every day. So I knew it was never going to be a long-term job to, to career to be working for someone else. Um, it was always just work for other agencies, learn as much as I can so that I can go and work for myself as soon as I can. And then made enough contacts in the world of motorsport that I could set, could leave my job. And um, one of the clients said, we'll pay you to do three days a week for us, what you were getting full time at the agency to leave. So I did that. And the rest is history. Yeah. That's the dream. You put yourself in the right positions in life. But I was very lucky as well um, within the first month of going so I quit my job and I had a month's notice that I had to work there and within that month I had a call from Aston Martin asking me what I was up to and then uh, asked if I could they said they were looking for a PR agency asked if I could pitch for that went along to the pitch never in a million years thought that I would beat London agencies to win Aston Martin Racing social media um, PR account and then I won it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was a little old me uh, working for Aston Martin, yeah. And then, and then that was the, I guess, the halo brand that I needed for my for my business to open doors and go and do cool things. Going back a little bit, you touched on right, going to rallies with your family, etc. But what's your actual first memory of motorsport? Do you have one? Depends really what you class as motorsport. I think my early ones, my dad had an Austin 7 and we'd go to Austin 7 rallies. The first motorsport I remember is if we count bikes in there is we used to go up and watch the scramblers and I would take my little Yamaha 25cc up there and ride around the 
car park and ride around trying to watch all these yeah these bikes and I'm sure again in my head it was like the world championship of bikes but it was probably like the local village bike club or something that was my first memory and I just thought it was so cool I'm a Shropshire girl I'm from the countryside and life was very simple and we were you know very you know (laughs) without sounding cliche very at one with nature you know I had a pet ferret a fishing rod a pair of wellies and I was happy you know I was out from morning till night catching rabbits and fish and taking them home and my mum was vegetarian I am now but you know I would think nothing of mum coming home from work and there being a sink full of trout for her to gut and cook for me for us to have this very simple life and then suddenly this sound of these bikes would come into town and just rip up the, the you know the side of a bank and it was you know the coolest thing I'd ever seen and these people were often from like Birmingham and these big places that we couldn't go because it was the 80s and there was the IRA and everything so mum didn't let us go into a town yeah I just thought it was the coolest thing ever and that's kind of where it started was that and that and I think that's why I loved rallying because it was taking this landscape of nature and wilderness and just destroying it just for a day or two I, I just thought that was so cool and then and then this big circus would leave again and it would go back to silent again and you'd wait to, for it to come back around again and among all that noise and all that silence how did you choose PR oh gosh so I was at university I think I think yeah because I was I left, I got moved up a year at school, so did everything a year early, went to university, wasn't even old enough to go in the student union bar because I was still 17, I think. Didn't really know what I wanted to do in my life. Had a bit of a messed up home life. It was not a normal life. Um, I couldn't go away to uni because I had to care for my mum and didn't really know what I wanted to do. And actually, mum had a boyfriend at the time and he owned a hotel and he was looking for, he bought this hotel and wanted to rebrand it. And he had this PR and marketing agency that he was working with. And he would bring home the logo designs and the PR strategy that this age, these agencies, I think he was putting out a pitch, that was it. And he, was, he would bring them home and show them to me and say, which ones you like? Which one should I go with? And I thought, you know what? I love this. This is really cool. And I would give him loads of feedback. And he was like, do you know what? You're really good at this. So actually the agency that won it, he said to them, one of the reasons that you won it is because my stepdaughter really loved this about it and they were like oh you know she sounds quite interesting so when I wanted some work experience I thought oh I'll go there so I got in touch and went there and did um, my work experience and then they offered me a job so I would go to university what I actually would do is pick the university courses that were next to each other rather than the ones I wanted to do so that I could work more so if I could only if I only had to go to uni on a Monday and Tuesday then I could work three days And then I also had a job as a childminder. So I'd leave the PR agency, pick the kids up from school, childmind them. And then on a Saturday, I worked at the garden centre. And on a Sunday, I worked in a cattery. (laughs) You're talking a lot of life experience that way, that's for sure. Yeah, well, what I actually did is when I was at uni, because I had all these jobs and was working, um, I managed to save enough money to buy my first house. So actually, before I left uni... I bought a four-bed detached house that needed renovating. Yeah, I've always wanted to, you know, get the best, at, most out of life and push and push. I'm not one to, you know, sit around and, and waste time with things. You know, I was like, right, what, what can I do next? I need to, you know, when I leave uni, I need to have a house. How can I get a house? And that's how I've always been, which probably explains why I've got four businesses that I'm running at the moment. <laughs> Going back to motorsport, although I feel bad talking about motorsport because you do so much. It actually feels like a disservice to everything that you're <laughs> To be honest, it is the thing that, you know, it is what people know me for. It's it's my passion and my love. You know, I do other other things for other reasons. The Christmas tree business is because my husband's a racing driver and, you know, they all have a shelf life. You know, he's just turned 33, so he's probably got 10 years left making money out of motorsport. Um, and that's if he's if he's lucky and he wanted something that he could could have after that time to make some money, but didn't really want to work massively hard. And also it needed to be a business that we could set up now off season a little bit so he could do his racing yeah. April to October and then something to pick up. So it had to be seasonal. And it's a long, boring story about how it came to Christmas trees. But, uh, you know, it my husband is the same as me. We One minute we're sitting on the sofa saying, let's set up a Christmas tree company the next day. He's, you know, we've got the name, I've done the logo, he's set up the website, we've got the bank account. And it's like, we don't, we don't waste time, we don't 
procrastinate or think about things and then it'll be a week later and we're oh you know we set up this Christmas tree company and I managed to get us on ITV this morning talking about the Christmas trees now at this point I've got a Christmas tree with all our packaging and everything with Philip Schofield saying what a wonderful idea is at this point, I'm watching this and our phone is going crazy, right? The, the website's about to crash. The phone is going crazy. Everyone wants his Christmas tree because Philip Schofield said it's a good idea. At this very point, I don't know if we can put a... Because the idea is that we sell Christmas trees in a box at Celebrity House. At this point, we've not sent one Christmas tree. We don't know if this could work. But I've got Philip Schofield telling the whole country they should get one. And they are. And you're sitting there thinking, what have we done? What have we done? But you pulled it off. We pulled it off. I mean, bless him, Tom. Ad, you know, he he tends to get the the worst jobs of the business. You know, I'm the one who you know gets us on TV and takes all the glory. He's the one that has to figure out actually how we're going to get a Christmas tree delivered to someone's house. But yeah, I'm sure people aren't tuning in to listen about Christmas tree woes. <laughs> it can all be edited. Don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> so going back to motorsport. Yes. Do you think you chose it firmly with both hands or do you think it came grabbing you and never let you go? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm a, although I'm very um, ambitious, I, I really do live in the now. It's, it's something that I've learned by nature. I think, as I, I mentioned a bit earlier, I had a, uh, an, a slightly unusual childhood. So growing up, it was not the norm. Um, and I think one way that I learned to cope was, with that was to live in the now. I didn't ever think about the things that had happened because that wouldn't have been great for your mental health. And I also stopped worrying about what the future looks like because I was very out of control of my my life in my childhood. So I learned that trying to control the future was often something that left you feeling more stressed because you couldn't control it. So I learned that if I was happy at that moment, I'm happy. So I would go to school and I was the life and soul and the joker because that was my happy time. And, that, you know, like I said, I would take my ferret down to the fields with my friends and I was super happy. I didn't think about what I was going to go home to or what I'd left because it would have ruined the happy moments. So I, I very much do that now. So when people say to me, did you plan this? I don't plan anything. I just do things that feel right. And And I think if you always do things that feel right for you, it will normally turn out all right. And if it doesn't, you won't regret it because you always went with your heart. Um, I kind of think of it a little bit like if you think of your life as like a lap on a track. If you spend every lap, every corner thinking about how you messed up the last corner, you're probably going to mess up this corner too. Or if you spend that corner thinking about what you're going to do on the next corner, you're probably going to mess up this corner. But all I try and do is just nail the corner that I'm on. And then I'm hoping by the time I get to the end of the lap, it will be a good lap. And that's how I kind of treat it. I don't think about it. What happens, happens. And I don't think this is my forever either. It could be. I could be doing this until I retire. But I might not. I don't know. I just, I'm a bit of a work hard, enjoy it, and take opportunities. Don't close doors because there's enough closed doors in life as it is. Just go with it and see where it goes. And it's doing well for me so far. I mean, I've been to places that a little girl from Shropshire could only dream of going to. You know, I went, I was at Sebring 12 hours it last year or the year before I can't remember and as I said earlier I was a, I'm a massive nerd at heart and I when I was a kid I was really into two two things as well as cars which was space travel and dinosaurs they were like my two things I loved and I found myself stood at Sebring and they were launching a rocket into space and I had one of those moments because you know we do live an amazing life where we see really cool like we work hard and I think because sometimes we're working so hard with our heads down we forget to look up and this really was like a look up moment. It was like, there's a rocket going from Earth into space. And like, even now it makes, I've got goosebumps thinking about it. And I stood there and I cried and I'm stood there, right? And everyone's come out the media saying, all the drivers, all the world's top motorsport media are stood there. And I am blubbing like a baby. And they're like, what's wrong, Bex? I'm like, I never thought that I would be in America watching a rocket go into space. Like, what the hell? But because it wasn't planned, it just happens. I just happened to be there. I, <laughs> you've told me, um, but I think that is the important thing, isn't it? Is you know, where where sometimes maybe not planning things very well might 
be a bit of a downfall sometimes. I really do enjoy the the moments that I do have. And I've got one client who has lived a very privileged life, very wealthy background. And we actually had a long chat a while back um, about the importance of enjoying moments and really stopping yourself to in, internalize them, to see them, to smell them, to touch it, to taste it, to feel moments, because we can become so complacent if you if you live this privileged life that we live, that you you could, could very easily get to the end of it and realize that you didn't take it all in properly. And that's a big fear of mine, because I think, again, because I almost feel like not imposter syndrome, but I feel like this life was not supposed to be mine, but I somehow got it that I'm going to make sure that I enjoy every moment of it. And this guy I was talking to is super privileged. He says sometimes like he'll look at a sunset when he's with lots of people and everyone's like, oh my God, isn't that amazing? And he's like, ah, well, it's not as good as the one I saw off the coast of Goa when I was 12. Do you know what I mean? Because he's, and, and the word complacent comes from commonplace. So it means that something has become common to you. And I said to him, what's happened to you? You've been so privileged in your life that things that would be extraordinary to other people have become com- common to you and you've become complacent about them. But what you have to do is look, is constantly be looking for the for the new things. What's different about this one? How does it feel? How how am I feeling with this sunset, aged twenty five, that I didn't when I was twelve because I've got more life experience, blah blah blah. And that's something that I consciously have to do when I'm traveling to Australia for work and I'm driving along the road to get to the track and I'm thinking about all the work I have to do and I make myself stop and pull over in the Blue Mountains for four minutes, you know, and look at the view and stop myself. Because otherwise, in motorsport particularly, your blinkers on, you go to the track, you do your work, you leave, and you you don't you don't appreciate that people would give their lives to do that. You never see a thing, and it's not it's not just being complacent. I find that things go so quick in motorsport, and we're so conditioned to finish one thing, move on to the next, just by sheer timetable, you know, finish one race, go on to the next, finish one session, yeah. prepare the next session. Yeah, your life is very dictated to you, isn't it? In the You know, you get to the track and your team manager gives you this, well, before you get there, you've got the schedule and that is what you're yeah. supposed to do. So you, you do learn to live by it. I also think in motorsport, you might have noticed this, is there's a, it's not cool to pretend you, to, it's not cool to say you're having fun. Like there's this thing, you know, you walk into the pub, into the garage and you say to the team, all right and they go yeah living the dream no no you you are you actually are living the dream like but it's like you don't want to look like you're really enjoying yourself you know you've got to be a bit like oh yeah long days today really tough and yeah there are long days and it is tough but sometimes I think we we all have to like get a grip and realize how cool this is because yeah it it could be taken away and actually I think maybe this um COVID-19 might show a few people that it can be taken away from us. We don't. We're not entitled to that life that we have. Um, it could go at any minute, and hopefully, we'll all go back to racing a little bit more appreciative of 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 what we've got and how fortunate we are to have it. Definitely. Do you think, by the way, that's the best philosophy? And um, I'm quite thankful that you said it out loud because I could do with reminding that as well. And it's not so much that I don't stop and appreciate the moment or become complacent because I, I, I'm the same. I've never done that. I've fought really hard to get to where I am and I'm going to enjoy it. But I do keep my head down and focus on the work and don't always take time to appreciate the moment. So thank you for saying that one. Do you think that philosophy helps you with stress? Do you think? I'm awful at stress management. I have an inability to say no. If someone's, I I love my job and I always want to do the best I can possibly do for everybody that I work with. I, you know, when, when I go to a race, I want to get the shot that no one else has ever got. So I've got, I'm getting the photographer to the track at 4am to get the sun. I'm constantly pushing and I sometimes forget to put into perspective how much I need to do to keep my clients happy, to do a good job, to impress people. I think sometimes I, yeah, I spend all my time wanting to do more and more and more and more and more. And I think it's an addiction. I think you, you know, my my husband Tom always says to me, you know, if you didn't do that, if you didn't get up at four o'clock in the morning tomorrow and do that photo, 
would your client still go, get to the end of the weekend and think you didn't do a fantastic job? Of course they would. They'd still think you did a fantastic job. So why do you push and push and push? And I, I don't know, but I think the pushing gives me a lot of pride and a lot of, I love to stand back and do, and have done a really good job. I love that and to do something different, but equally it's hard to maintain. It's really tiring and really stressful. And I don't have the answer to how to become not addicted to that. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I'm not good with stress. Um, I was actually talking to someone about this the other day, because what I often get asked about being a woman in motorsport and you know what? I've had a fantastic career in motorsport. And for every one, usually man, who's made me feel inferior, there's a thousand who respect me and trust me and are kind to me and, you know, treat me as, as an equal. As a woman in motorsport, sometimes you do have to prove yourself where your male counterpart perhaps wouldn't. So, and I've seen it with my own eyes where I've, I've worked with someone and I've had to prove myself. I've not really thought about it. I just thought maybe that's the kind of person you have to prove yourself to. And then a male will walk into the team brand new day one and they don't have to do the same. I thought, oh, okay, it's like that, is it? But that's fine. And I, but I think what it makes you do as a woman is you constantly feel that you have to prove yourself maybe a little bit more. So you can't say no. So that's where this addiction stems from is that, if I say no, or if I don't do a better job than everyone else, will people say it's because I'm a girl or I'm weak or because I'm not strong enough to to push and do the extra hours? So I I never say no. And I think that maybe early on in my career, that made me successful because I had that extra drive. Maybe I don't need to do that anymore. <laughs> Maybe I can sometimes say no and I'll still be respected. I know exactly what you mean. And actually, I'll, I feel very driven. I feel extremely driven. What I do like, though, is that it does take something like motorsport, which could become the same every year or every weekend. And for me, it never is. Yeah. Because every single time I go in there and I'm like, right, how can we do this different? How can we do this better? Yeah, but that and takes that, a lot of strength to do that because you have to, yeah. you're, you're doing that yourself. Yeah, I think that and it is, it roll sleeves up and keep going, which is which is tiring. My new way to because because I've done this for so long now, I've got to keep reinventing that as well. Um, is how can I work smarter? Actually, how can I achieve more by not but without having to do the huge hard graft and staying up until four o'clock in the morning to achieve it that I know I've done before, but actually I know will destroy me ultimately. Yeah, well, if you find the answer to that. If you'd let me know that. <laughs> but I do think that's, that is the, that is where, our, again, our strength and our weakness is that I will push myself until I've got nothing more to give. You know, I will leave the race weekend absolutely destroyed. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, 
you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. With all that given then, how do you define success for yourself? For me, I want a happy life. Like I have a wonderful life. Like my husband is unbelievably kind and understanding and caring and supportive. I, I couldn't be happier there. Um, I always choose clients who I like working with. So my clients are wonderful. I have a bit of a rule. If your client rings you and you don't want to answer the phone, you probably shouldn't work with them. And um, so all of my clients, I would class as, as friends. Um, and that is for me a success. I don't want to be stressed. Yes, I my business is good and I have a wonderful home because of that and I've worked hard to achieve it, but that's not success. M- money isn't success. For me, it's comfort. And it's like I was saying earlier with my childhood, I was very out of control. For me, success is about having a life where you, you're not gonna, you've limited your curveballs that might come in. Obviously, like I said, you can't control your health and other things like that, but I've built my world with my safety net around it and my bubble around it. And I don't wake up in the night worrying about money. I don't have a relationship where I'm going to bed on an argument because we just don't argue. Like I'm successful because I'm happy and I'm content and I don't want for anything. I'm not the kind of person that wants for things. Like I said, I have a lovely home. I worked hard and bought my dream car a few years ago and I'm happy. I don't want for anything. That's success to me. Mind, isn't it? Yeah. You're at peace. I'm, I am at peace. I'm very much at peace with my life. How do you balance your work and your home life? And how do you actually keep your family and your friends' expectation in check? Because you are away a lot. Yeah, this is a tough one and actually quite topical. So uh, I was talking to Tom about it the other day, actually. I'm I'm not good at it, is the truth. I And I think we're all a bit guilty of it emotionally. And it's something I'm quite conscious of, probably not... I'm conscious of it, but probably not achieving what I'd like to achieve. So it's very easy in the world of motorsport to think that that's your life, that that's your world, because you spend all your time with those same people. You know, it doesn't matter where you go in the world. And particularly with me, I work in lots of different championships. So I work in the World Endurance Championship or GT World Challenge. So I'm constantly at different different race events, but it's the same people. And you go for a drink with these people, you have dinner with these people, you're on the plane with these people. I spend more time with these people than I do my family and my friends and my husband and what you have to be super careful of is is thinking that's your real world. Because what happens is I've seen it happen very recently with a good friend of mine who um, was a driver manager now in his 60s, got older and couldn't travel to the races so much and stopped going. And actually, no one really checked in on him, you know, because they they weren't his real friends. They're not your, you know, they are. And I don't want it to sound like people, in, anyone listening, you are my friend, but you're my motorsport friend. And when we're at the racetrack, we have a fantastic life together. We share great experiences. And if ever you need me, call me and I'll be there. But you can't let it replace your real world. And I think sometimes I am guilty of of putting work ahead of my real world friends. Um, I do do that, you know. And again, it's because I would never, yeah, prioritize things. I'll probably look back and regret that, to be honest, that I've got three friends from from when I was nine or 10 years old, I'm still, you know, still friends with godmother to their children and everything. And I've missed all of their weddings because I've had races and, you know, there's other people in the team and you go, oh, where's, where's Dave today? And they go, oh, he's gone on a stag do. I would never miss work for anything like that. I would, I've never missed a race for a Hindu or a wedding or anything. Never. Um, maybe I've prioritized that badly. I think maybe I'll look back and think, why did I go to a stupid race where we finished 23rd? I missed a wedding. I don't know. Um, I find that I'm very lucky in my home life because Tom, being a racing driver, is away a lot as well. So I think if I if if he was at home all the time and I was away, I think that would be difficult. Uh, just difficult to understand. You know, I understand when he's away at a racetrack if he doesn't call me all day and just sends me one WhatsApp because I know what it's like when you're at the track and you've got media this and practice here and. Uh, driver briefing so if he can only whatsapp me in the morning and say good morning and then before bed at night I don't mind but you know if I had a normal job that could really offend me or so I I think home life it's actually been difficult in lockdown because I've been super busy manufacturers in particular need PR and marketing more in a crisis than ever 
but Tom's been obviously not racing, so he's been a bit more twiddling of the thumbs. So I felt the pull a little bit more, whereas normally he just wouldn't be here so I can work 20 hours a day and you don't have the guilt. Whereas now I'm getting to like eight o'clock at night and I'm working and he's sitting there and I'm thinking, I need to stop working now. And so I'm finding probably what normal people would feel in this situation, that I'm very privileged that most of the time I don't have. But yeah, that balance, I always thought I was getting it right. But I think probably what this virus has made me realise is I wasn't getting it right. I was just getting away with it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It's a, it's a strange sense of responsibility, isn't it? It's right. We've been taught that obviously when we're working and especially when you've got your own business and you've got clients, you feel a complete huge sense of responsibility and you want to honour everything that you've told them because you don't say no. Somehow we don't place the same responsibility or sense of responsibility with our friends and families and they forgive us because they love us. They do. And and I think they know how much this means to us. So they do forgive us. And we're very lucky. I mean, like I said, all of my friends, they they don't live in the motorsport world at all. They don't understand it. But I'm so lucky that they've never once made me feel guilty for it. Um, I think as well, they knew me at school and they never thought I'd do all this stuff either. So they're just like, oh, my God, let's not stop her. <laughs> we never thought she'd be this successful. <laughs> we thought she'd be a dropout. <laughs> as long as she's not got the ferret anymore just leave her to oh, it there's nothing wrong with the ferret I bet it was a they stink pet. they stink oh they absolutely <laughs> reek yeah never get a ferret but I loved it oh what's your proudest moment do you have one and did you celebrate it no no I did and this is and you'll I'm sure you'll appreciate this is in our job there's never a conclusion you never get to the end of it because even when you're in the media center at we'll say Bathurst we're just talking about it you're still working on the next event so you never get like a completion feeling so you never get to stand back and go I did really well on that because you're just so into the next one and I think that's one thing that I struggle with in my job is that there's you're on this roller coaster but you you never you never step off ever we don't have a winter season anymore we don't have it have that time to to stand back so I don't know what my proudest moment is I also think in our jobs we don't credit ourselves so no. our job as the PR is to be to do all of the work behind it and then you put the face of it be that the driver the team manager team principal or the brand they're the face of it so you do all of the hard work and I'm not complaining about that. I like this. I don't like being the face of it. I, I, it's not in my nature to want to be the front of something. I want to help other people to look good. It's PR is the perfect job for me. It's my in my nature to want to to be behind the scenes. So yeah, I don't know. I honestly don't know what my proudest moment would be. Probably, I think probably my proudest moment is. It's not even a moment. It's just I'm proud that I've built a business that I've worked with some of the biggest brands in not just in motorsport but in automotive you know that I have contacts you know very high up in really big businesses who who I've worked with and I think that's something I'm really proud of that I at 26 years old threw myself into it Um, and at the time I thought I was such a grown-up so old you know 26 of course I can do whatever I want I'm 26 now I mean I'm past 25 I'm almost 30 and then you get to like 35 you think god I was a child and now I you know I have 26 year olds working for me and I think oh my god I was such a child massively blagging this um I'm very proud I guess that I blagged it because I did in the early days you know now I know what I'm doing but god in the early days I had no idea not a clue um, but so much enthusiasm yeah. just made it up for me <laughs> yeah oh bless bless little me if I ask you the complete opposite and if you have a lowest moment are you going to identify a lot of stuff um a lowest moment oh god um honestly my lowest moment uh I don't want to bring the tone down too much um was when we lost Alan Simonson at Le Mans in 2013 so I was 20 let's go back to the massively blagging it part so I'm now 27, 26, 27. I've had my business a year or so. It's my second Le Mans working for Aston Martin. 
Um, I've got five cars in the race and 15 drivers and it's just me. So I'm pretty shattered anyway. It's been a, it's been a long week. Um, Dave Adams from Aston turned up on the Friday afternoon to come and help me with the, do Twitter during the race. Uh, so we get to race day, obviously we, we find out, we saw Alan had the big crash. We found out that he died and suddenly what was my dream job, the fun job that I'd been, you know, the most stressful thing of the week was whether the car had the right sticker on for the photo. Suddenly I was, I had the world's media um, asking me the status of Alan and suddenly that crisis comms document that you circulate, it became a real thing. It, it was before it was just another attachment to an email. Do you know what I mean? It was, it wasn't, it wasn't a real, it wasn't real. And I was very fortunate actually at the time that I had some people around me within the team who were really great and we got through it as a team together. Um, but it was, and, and actually probably, do you know what? It was, this is actually my lowest moment and my proudest moment would be Le Mans 2013. And we, we got through it and it, I, this things that happened that I will never tell a soul because we were in it as a team. It was that kind of, we, we, we saw things, we heard things, good things, bad things. And none of us have ever told, not that I know of anyway, it was like a, and, and, and it bonded us forever. And there's a couple of people I went through that experience with who, even if I don't see them from year to year, when I do, we've got that, that bond of what we went through together. And it was, it was awful. And I wouldn't wish it on anyone and it is the it's the dark side of our job is is that side of it but um but I'm actually very proud with how I dealt with it um and held it all together at the time and and yeah I think I think we did we did everyone as proud as we could at that time yeah unfortunately I can completely relate and I wish I didn't I wish I couldn't yeah until you've done it and been through it you you just can't even begin to understand what it's like a lot of people say to me, oh, Bex, I'd love your job. And I, you know, you don't want to say it, but what you want to say is you see the good bits, you know, you, you don't see the, all of the stuff that we hide because let's be honest in PR, 20% of the job is promotion and 80% is hiding stuff. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's the bit they don't see. And that's the stressful bit. And that's where you're managing egos and you're managing brands and you've got one sponsor yeah. wants this and one wants that and this brand wants this and the CEO of that company wants that and you're constantly trying to carve a path through the middle that keeps everybody happy and inevitably at times you don't keep everybody happy and and again like we're, we're not the face of it when it's shiny but when things go wrong we're certainly the face of it that has to deal with it <laughs> um, <Yep. laughs> so it's a it's a fantastic job that I I'm very lucky to have to have been involved in I'm glancing very quickly at all my questions and I actually think we've covered most of it. There's one topic that I always love to ask somebody who has so much presence on it like I do and it's social media. Yes. How do you do social media and what do you like about it? What do you oh, I love it. it. I love it. I mean, social media for me, uh, I think it, it kind of it massively helped my career. I mean, when I first worked for Aston Martin, social media wasn't really a massive thing. It was like 2011 and I think that's when I really started to push boundaries. I asked Martin's Twitter account, like we were the first ones that really connected with a fan base through it before, you know, any of the F1 teams were having banter with each other. We were doing that with Corvette back in 2011. Like, and we were, it was a small audience, you know, probably at the time we probably had 20, 30,000 followers, but in terms of how we were using the platform, we were, we were doing things differently and it was getting noticed by people. Um, so social media to me is always something that, enabled me to do something differently whereas without it how do you do a press release better than the people that have been doing it before and the industry changed exactly when I needed it to change I needed something different so that I could carve a new path and I I have a love of social media a very it's played a huge part in my life and I actually have a very good relationship with it I use my Twitter for business so if you if you follow me on Twitter the Rebecca Jones um, then it's mainly about motorsport or automotive industry. Uh, it's not, I don't keep it too boring. I try and have a bit of a laugh with it, but that's my professional side. And, and you know, there's a lot of people who follow me on there who are very senior at businesses and um, within the media. So it's my it's my professional. If I, if I wouldn't say it in the media center, I won't, won't say it on there. Instagram is me. I, sometimes, I go through phases. I've just been through the last 
pretty much through lockdown without going on there at all. Um, I've kind of used lockdown as a bit of a, um, yeah, I, I found I was wasting a lot of time on there. Um, I was going on Instagram probably, well, let's be honest, 10 times a day, first thing in the morning. Like, and honestly, it was boring me. Um, you know, you follow a lot of people and it's... And I was finding I was dedicating a lot of time to something that was actually giving me very little entertainment. So not consciously, I just found I naturally stopped looking at it. And that, But then I did find I was feeling detached from the world a little bit. I think you realise how much you keep up with your friends and their kids and everything by being being on Instagram. Facebook, I haven't been on for years. I think it's a poisonous, horrible place. Um, I have my account so that I can do my clients' posts, but... For me, my biggest life advice to anyone listening would be to delete your Facebook account immediately because it's full of absolute tripe and it's there to poison your mind. Uh, but yeah, Instagram, I love it um, for my personal use. Um, yeah, if you want to see what an idiot I actually am, then that's that's on there. I also think it's important for us to show the world that we are not just motorsport obsessed because I think, especially, I don't know if you get this, I get um, a lot of people post-university want to come and do some work experience with, with me or work and um, they think that in order to be good at motorsport you have to make it your entire life and actually that's not going to make you good at anything you know you have to especially being creative you have to be doing lots of different things and involved in lots of things so that your mind looks at things differently and works differently I've actually had people work for me who are so motorsport obsessed that when I say to them how should we do this they give me the way that it's always been done because they, they can't think in any other way. And I think it's important to show that, like, I love gardening. I love being outside. Like I said earlier, I love nature. I, you know, I love, um, yeah, I love being outside and riding bikes. So I don't have to be watching motorsport all of the time. That's not a healthy way to approach this job at all. I work in motorsport because I like being outside. Yeah, and I like people. You know, I, yeah. I like, you know, Yes, I, I enjoy the sport side of the sport. I like watching the race, whatever. But yeah, it's not the reason I work in motorsport. I work in motorsport because of, yeah, the travel, the people. What advice would you give to anybody that's listening that would actually, or that's been in touch with you, that would actually like to come and work in our industry? I would say the biggest problem that most people face when they want to come and do this job is they think that they can just jump straight in at the top. So they see what we do and they go, I want to do that. Now, what they don't see is the driving to Birmingham two hours every day to go and work in a PR agency to learn all of the stuff you can't just jump in at the top and do. You know, my first job in my PR agency was, and this makes me sound very old, was I would print the press release off and fold it, put it in the envelope, use the franking machine to frank it and walk it to the post office and post it. And what I would do is all of the account managers would send me their press releases and then I would print them. In fact, I think they gave me them on a floppy disk. I don't think they even, I don't even think I had an email. <laughs> and I would print them off and I would read them all. And I would read every single one and I would think, how have they done that? How have they crafted this press release? And I think working in a PR agency, for me, if you want to, if you want to do what I'm doing now, go and get a job in a PR agency and go and do the PR for cable ties. And go, we would have our boss walk into the room, right? We're going to pitch for, I don't know. My one of my first clients was Bull Seaman. So basically, <laughs> I'd have to write for Farmers Weekly about the bull so that the farmers could buy the bull semen for their for their cows. And you just learn the way to sell things and to promote things and look at things differently. And I just don't think you can can do what we do in the way that we do it without doing all of this in, in the background. So get a job in an agency before you come to me. Do the graph. Yeah, yeah. What about advice you've been given? Is there anything that you've actually carried with you this whole time? There was actually something that um, Alan Simonson said to me the week of Le Mans that he died on actually we were talking about um work and my business and everything and at the time I think I was working for Aston Martin and maybe a couple of others but Aston Martin was probably 80% of my income and Alan at the time I think of that year was racing for something like eight different teams manufacturers or whatever he was he was super in demand 
because he was really good at what he does. And we were chatting about it. And he just said to me, don't have all your eggs in one basket. Don't, you know, don't sign to one manufacturer with your business. Don't, don't align yourself too much with Aston Martin um, because it's a client and you, you know, you don't want to be known as, as just that. And he said, and that's why his, his career was so successful in motorsport in order to be successful is don't have all your eggs in one basket because, and we've seen it many times, you know, you get a new CEO, a manufacturer, and they pull the plug on motorsport and you're, you're left with nothing. It's not so bad. It's different if you have a job there, but doing what I was doing, having a more of an agency with different clients. And and that really stuck with me, what he said about that. And I thought, yeah, I, I believe in that. And it's the it's the right way to do it. And it's, it's not always easy, you know. Oh, man, I've had it before <laughs> where I've had two clients at the same event and I've had to change Mrs. Doubtfire style, you know, change team kit in the paddock before going into another garage and stuff like that. I mean, I've really juggled. I've, I've found the line of, of and pushed it, you know, of of having lots of clients in the same industry, yeah. uh, and it's been stressful. But I wouldn't have it have it any other way. It's it's funny, and I've got some really funny st- stories because of it. My final question to you: Yeah, what are you looking forward to. Pardon, what am I looking forward to? I'm looking forward to walking into a garage and seeing my mates. I'm not sure it will be this year. I'm not sure that as PR people we'll be allowed back this year. But I'm really looking forward to just walking into the paddock and seeing my mates, especially my Bentley boys, my, my six works drivers at Bentley. You know, we are a solid little team and and I've missed them a lot. And I hate them and love them in equal amounts. And I say that to them all the time, but I think... I didn't realise how much love I had for them until I didn't see them anymore. Oh, thank you very much for taking. No, thank you. <laughs> Hugely appreciated. Thank you. You're welcome. Anytime. I'm so thankful to Bex for agreeing to come on here and share her experiences. She's done so much in motorsport and actually showcases brilliantly what it's like to work in endurance racing and to own her own PR agency and not actually be focused on Formula One, which I think is important stories to share. I think she mentioned it during the conversation, but if you'd like to check her out, the easiest place as always is social media and she's on there as the Rebecca Jones. As ever, if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe via your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review if that function is available on that platform. It helps people find us, but it also means so much and you know I'll be reading all of them. You can also get in touch directly if you'd like via my Instagram account, which is Pandia, P-A-N-D-E-A. Thank you very much for listening and speak to you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.